0: You bring out marching snare drums on a, st- on a stage, lo and behold, with an electronic band. You see these people just light up and they're like, what is going on?
1: Hello and welcome to The Morning Block. It's the first block of the day. I'm Jake. And I'm Chris. And
2: I founded Virtual Arts with the help of my good buddy, Chris, and a whole lot of other awesome people.
1: And this is the weekly show where we answer big questions about the pageantry and marching arts. Today, we're tackling
2: the question, how can you pay your bills through marching band? And we mean just marching band, not music in general, but marching band as a full-time career.
1: We're talking marching wind diddles, marching drum diddles. All the diddles. Guard diddles. No sitting down, right, yes, Jake? It's all
2: standing and performing. No seated performance unless you play timpani.
1: Unless it's body.
2: Uh, or, yeah, or intentionally seated body.
1: <laughs> but no, that's uh, it's a It's a good point and it's a good question. And actually, the crazy thing about it is there are several ways that you can do this. Right, yeah. It's, it's not
2: just one singular career path. There's a lot of different things that envelop that. So there's kind of four main ways um, that we have come up with that you can do this. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what those lifestyles are like, what those jobs are like, and also how do you get to the point where you can actually have these jobs and have a full-time career doing just quote-unquote uh, marching band. Um, and then as always, we're going to try to talk to some professionals in the industry. And in this case, the professionals are people who do marching band for their full-time job. Uh, which is really exciting.
1: It's how they make their money. So the very first one, what comprises of a marching band, is the performers themselves, correct?
2: Yes. And then second, we have a teacher slash adjudicator.
1: And then the last one is, you know, the people who create, the creators themselves. So designers and writers. And so, and then we'll leave, let's leave the fourth one as a surprise Surpri- for, for the end of the episode. So we're going to make job. you listen to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: They may, they may not like, like see the, the special guest in the show notes and be like, I know exactly what the fourth one is. But if you haven't seen the show notes and you want it to be a surprise, uh, you can certainly wait, uh, to the end of the episode.
1: Let's dive into the first one. So as a performer, um, That's an interesting one because it's kind of hard to think through. Right now, you know, marching band's not like uh, another sport out there where there is a major league where you can make sums of money like football or baseball or
2: yeah, it's quite the opposite. (laughs) You, you, uh, you, you pay money to do the professional version of marching band.
1: (laughs) Correct. Or, you know, there are like drum lines for NFL teams, for NBA teams, uh, even NHL teams sometimes have drum lines and things like that. Um, but they definitely don't pay you enough money to live. So what 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 are what are the gigs? What's the main place you go to? Well, actually we, we see them a lot at DCI finals. Um military bands are one of the number one things you can do as a performer um and make money. And they're
2: good gigs. Yeah. I oh mean, my god.
1: Health insurance,
2: uh four oh one K for retirement, but they will pay money for you to exist and, and play play drums or trumpet or whatever, and then they will pay enough money for you to live after you retire and don't have to work anymore. Plus health care, plus benefits. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a
1: sweet gig, <laughs> it's a safe and it's safe and secure. Barry. You go into this gig knowing, I mean, unlike, unlike other touring musicians, like a rock drummer or, you know, a jazz player or anything like that, that's wondering where the next gig's going to come from in a military band, your gigs are lined up for, you know, decades as of right now. I mean, we're, we're not, we're not cutting military bands. Anytime soon. So I know, I know when I was in music education in college, that was definitely one of my goals was to get into a military band because it was just such a safe, secure gig. And that's an easy way to make money performing. Um, It's not available to everyone and not everyone wants to get into the military. So there's a couple of other things you can do. Um, One of the things that I really enjoy is uh, performers in amusement parks. Uh, They actually do have in some amusement parks, they have marching bands. I know in Disneyland and Disney World they have those gigs too and uh, highly, highly sought after because I mean, again, great gig.
2: Yeah, one of the trumpet players from uh, VDBC, The Screamer, uh, Justin Diaz. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who plays the super high notes uh, in the 2020 Virtual Drum and Bugle Corps show. Um, he's uh, a trumpet player for the Disney theme parks. Um, Ralph Nader, uh, soloist for The Fall, also plays uh, for Disney. Uh, Kelly Mills has done that gig uh, who we marched with at Mystique. Um, so we, I mean, we know people who who literally do this. They they. Play the same show most days, sometimes twice a day, but it's a fun gig.
1: It's a fun gig. I was going to say I also marched with someone in drum corps who she was a huge Disney fan and she ended up playing trumpet out in Disneyland, California. So, I mean, it's possible. Again, that's a really tough gig to get because it's a highly sought after one. Once you get it, it's not like you're re-auditioning to continue being in the group and very limited number of people. You're looking at less than 40 in each of those bands. So it's a tough gig, but I mean, it's possible if that's something that you wanted to do. And then we've got the last one being a little bit more outlandish, ridiculous. There are certain popular groups that tour with marching band musicians. One of them being Odessa.
2: Oh, Des is not touring right now, right now, but uh, when they were, uh, they had uh, a full, I say a full drum line, they had a bunch of really, really talented snare drummers. Um, and they're not the only group uh, that is either semi-mainstream or fairly mainstream to have, like you said, some kind of either drum line uh, or marching style instruments that play uh, with them and, and they, they tour. Uh, Youngblood Brass Band is another. Uh, they have like sousaphones and, and <laughs> sling snare drums and that kind of stuff too. So there's, there's like yeah, mainstream absolutely. music that you can also uh, get into as just a performer. That's what you want to do.
1: And then I, we, we, we throw out Odessa because I actually marched with her back in drum corps. Uh, Jake taught with her. Who is, who is her, Chris? Her is Callie Rydell.
2: Callie is obviously an incredible performer and a badass snare player, and it landed her the dream gig, a world tour with a headliner music group playing just marching snare drum. So how did she get a salary job doing what we all dream of being able to do? We set up a call with her to find out.
0: So my name is Callie Rydell. Professionally, I guess now that I can say that, I actually toured with the electronic duo Odessa, who are out of Seattle, Washington. So it's just two guys. They met in college. They kind of were doing their own solo thing and then they got together. And then they had this crazy idea to put some marching percussion on stage. And I was kind of like in the right place at the right time teaching out here in Colorado. They came to Red Rocks and they hit up the University of Colorado Boulder where I was teaching at the time. And they were like, hey, we need some drummers to do this gig at Red Rocks. And we were like, okay. That sounds great. And a bunch of us teaching together, um, we got to do the gig. And right after we did those two shows at Red Rocks, they are like, we love working with you guys. You guys are, you know, on your stuff. You have really good ideas. We want to take this on the road. Like, do you want to go on tour? And it was like, oh, uh, sure. Yeah. I went to my boss uh, at the full-time job that I had at the time in Denver. And I was like, well, <laughs> I kind of, yeah. I, I have this gig and it's definitely something that I could never say no to. And it was something that I looked at as, if I do this, I could pursue this for the rest of my life.
2: Odessa was blowing up right when Callie and the drumline were brought on, and that gave them the opportunity of a lifetime. They got to headline at a little music festival called Coachella.
0: Totally mind-blowing. I mean, we, we headlined with Beyoncé and Eminem and us. So it was like those three. And the headliners get to perform both weekends. So I was fortunate enough to hang out in Indio, California for, you know, some time. And we did a lot of, um, you know, pre-rehearsals in LA, like in Hollywood. So we like rented out this huge studio and we got to just like put the show together, which was like also a very crazy and wild experience because you kind of get to see like how artists do that.
2: Callie said that when they were designing the stage shows, the production crew was worried about all day rehearsals and if the drummers would get burnt out. But for veteran DCI and WGI performers, this was of course no problem.
0: It was also something we were very used to because you know like you're in the drum corps scene, you're in the indoor scene, you you know you you rehearse Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday and then you know you got 14 hour rehearsal days for drum corps and it was like you know we get to the end of the day and everybody would just be so wiped out obviously because we are wearing drums the whole time and doing choreography and like doing everything live and just you know playing all day and they're like I'm sure you guys are ready to, like, take a break. And we're like, no, let's do it again. (laughs) You know, we're just like, we couldn't get enough of it.
2: My next question, of course, was if I or someone listening wanted an opportunity like this, what kind of things can I do to be in the, quote, right place at the right time?
0: All I can say is, yes, number one, keep practicing. (laughs) Don't stop drumming, of course. Honestly, it's it's all about connections. Same thing. It's all about, like, really getting your name out there. Like, if you really want to pursue something, you know... Like, to the next level. If, if you're really interested in doing something like that, that's how, like, a lot of vocal artists get their name out there. Like, they'll record a track, and they'll be like, hey, I think this fits your music. And be like, hey, what do you think about this? Can I get some feedback on this? Like, how do you feel about, you know, can we, can we collaborate? Something like that. And like I said, it's a very competitive game, just like anything else. But, I mean, if you really want to do it, like, there's, there's no doubt that other people would be able to do something. Yeah.
2: It's the age-old saying that it's not what you know, but who you know that matters. Callie obviously worked unbelievably hard to be a great snare drummer. She was the center snare at Phantom Regiment in the early 2010s. But the lesson I really took away was just being a kind and likable person is everything. She had a small opportunity to work with someone big, and they quickly realized she was just a cool person to be around, always positive and upbeat and humble. So they asked her to travel the world with them.
0: Waking up. Whether it was like, you know, we did, so we toured in Australia for two weeks. Did the Lollapalooza tour in South America. I got to do um, the World DJ Fest in Seoul, South Korea. Um, I got to do Mount Fuji Fest in Tokyo, Japan. Just like waking up in a foreign country and just like realizing that I'm, I'm waking up and I'm gonna do something that I've been doing for, you know, years now. But I get to portray that to people that I don't know that I've never met that are may not even know what marching percussion is. Cause a lot of people don't like, even still like we're such a small niche community, yeah. whether we believe that or not. So it's like you bring out marching snare drums on a, st- on a stage, lo and behold with an electronic band, you see these people just light up and they're like, what is going on? Like, this is insane. Like this is going to happen, you know? And we throw down and it's so much fun to just like, get those different reactions from people like all over the world. So very humbling experience to say the least, but hands down best job ever. No doubt.
2: 100%. So Chris... Best job ever. Clearly, how do we get started? Where do we sign up to do this?
1: Start sending DMs. I'm just kidding, Don't do <laughs> That's that. all I had to
2: do the whole time. The whole time.
1: Uh, just keep sliding in DMs. No, um, but it, it, I jokingly say that. But the first step is to definitely do some research and figure out how how to get in these gigs. It's not there isn't a secret gatekeeper. This information is out there. So I know for military bands. There's some audition processes. Um, It gets tougher the further down the list we go. Like I said, I'm sure for Disney, if they have a spot open, you have to find it on their website, and that's only if they have a spot open.
2: And for something like Odessa, you have to be really good and also an awesome person to work with and then just get lucky from there, I guess. Um, So as Chris said... Uh, You got to do your research. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is these gigs open up, you know, there there's always I say always there's often and after the pandemic, there will be obviously even more of these things that pop up. You have to network with people who know and be in whether it's Facebook groups or other networking groups or LinkedIn or just being connected with people who have these kind of gigs uh, and just do your research, you know, Um, look around and apply all the time. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. Uh, it helps also to be very, very good at your, at your instrument or, or implement.
1: I was about to say the first, the first thing is, you know, you got to get your 10,000 hours in, you got to practice a lot. Yes. These are the best of the best that do this. You got to be ready to go in an audition and get cut. Yep. If this is something you really want to do, this goes for all of these things. If this is something you really want to do and really want to accomplish you, perseverance, Will get you there. Yeah, you gotta really if you keep want it, going though. after it, like it, 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 because you gotta really want because it.
2: Because everybody who's auditioning, I say everybody. There's gonna be a lot of people who are auditioning who are phenomenal players and they're well experienced and well connected. Um, it's just like law of numbers. Like you just gotta want it so badly and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And uh, next one. Uh, the, the next way you can be a uh, marching bander full-time, pay your bills with marching band, uh, is be a teacher slash adjudicator, something in music education. Um, and, and yes, we know there are band directors, but actually we're not talking about that for the most part. Most you do year round, uh, non-marching music classes. Uh, and we're saying like, I have to be standing up or it's not my gig. Um,
1: <laughs> there, there are some people who don't like, who don't like concert bands. So yeah, th- that's that question. And Since this is the most obvious answer, we're not gonna go too much into detail with this kind of stuff, but um, I know especially in the percussion community, depending on where you are in the country, a lot of people do it for not just one school, but several different schools. They're able to fill up their calendars and convince the band directors to adjust the practice schedule so that they have something to go to every day. And so they're teaching, you know, three to five groups at a given season. And when you sum up that amount of money, you're not, you're not quote unquote rich, but you have enough money to get through. You're, you have enough money to live
2: for sure. Um, judging is kind of along that same line. Uh, the reason we include judging along with teaching is it really is tough to do that as a full-time gig. It's just, if you're a full-time nope. DCI WGI BOA judge, there's just not enough gigs year round. Even if you went, if you judged every day of, of available judging gigs, Uh, all the way, every weekend, all the way year round, that still is not quite enough to have a really stable living. Uh, Most judges either teach or consult or design or, you know, do something uh, that that supplements that. So we're kind of saying teacher adjudicator all in kind of one category.
1: Or, you know, I I can think of one judge in particular who, at least in the percussion community, we all love He actually has the gig that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. He has the military band gig. Good old Jeff Prosper. Jeff Prosper,
2: yeah. If you don't know who that is, uh, he had a video that went viral a while back. Uh, you can look it up. We'll, we'll try to link it in the show notes where like he was on some news and someone threw an ax at him. It was a whole thing. Uh, not on purpose.
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, do, 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 Chris, have you seen oh, that? Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it was, it was a whole thing. Oh my
2: God. <laughs> they, 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 they were the drumline like behind the ax targets. And they were like, it was like, good morning, America. I don't know. I will look it up later. I'll insert a magic thing here that tells exactly what I, it was.
0: Fox and Friends co-host Pete Hegseth aiming for accuracy and missing.
2: Um, But a guy threw an axe at the target and missed so badly it flew over and then hit Jeff Prospery in the arm. You know, the thing that allows him to make a living. So it was not a good situation. The video went viral. It was horrifying. Luckily, he made a full recovery and he's fine now. But gosh. So the moral of the story is... Only go into professional marching band if you're okay with potentially having axes thrown at you. And we mean this very <laughs> literally.
1: I'm just saying, like, it's. I think it's part of the gig. You, you have to recognize what you're getting into. It's all part of
2: it. Uh, so, Chris, how do you become a professional <laughs> teacher adjudicator? This one should be more obvious, but just let's run it down.
1: I mean, there are, there are literally college programs out there for it. The friends that I have that are doing the, like, teaching full-time that are not uh, band directors, what they were doing... Is they were getting their degrees in music education, and they got it, and then they were moving on to getting their master's degree. And again, connections. They knew someone from a drum corps they marched, and they said, "Hey, I've got this teaching gig down in Texas where we need a full-time, you know, percussion teacher for uh, this certain county in Texas. So you'll be teaching from like four or five different high schools, and you're just going to teach their percussion section." And he said, done. And he moved down to Texas. Huh. Uh, it's actually, Jake, we marched yeah. with him too. Eric Roundy got that offer from a friend he marched Carolina Crown with. And he said, and, yeah, And bye. to quote <laughs> Roundy, uh,
2: it was, it's the dream gig. I mean, obviously he's ridiculously talented performer and just an amazing teacher. Um, amazing I, I I got the uh, opportunity to to both perform and teach with him at one time or another, and just all around just amazing guy. So again, yeah, <laughs> put in your ten thousand hours because once you get to that that caliber, um, the the luck finds you for sure if that's what you're looking to do. Definitely. If you want to get more teaching gigs once you age out, we would highly, highly recommend you march DCI and WGI because the people you meet there is where most of these marching type gigs come from. People always like to hire people that they know.
1: It's a lot about expanding your horizons, taking many performance opportunities, put in your 10,000 hours so that you're at the top of your game. And when you've made your connections with your friends and your colleagues, they're first thought is you as a great fit for all these positions
2: yeah and this is going to sound silly too but like be nice to people i know that sounds simple and cheesy and whatever but i'm telling you (laughs) if you're well liked and you're good at what you do you'll get hired for everything
1: The other thing about Eric Roundy that we always talk about is I don't think there's anyone in the world that dislikes him. Oh, how can you? He's the nicest, kindest, kindest guy I've ever marched with. This podcast
2: is brought to you by Eric Roundy, the nicest guy. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) But yeah, so moving, moving on to our, moving on to our third point. A lot of people want to become a designer or a writer, especially at the, at the top level.
2: Yeah. And it's fun. And I I've designed for groups and it's a great feeling. Like even, even if it's just like the kids' parents, if you write something and kids perform it and people stand up and clap for it, it's a good feeling. It is. (laughs) Tell you what, like it feels very, very good to make art and have your art be enjoyed by someone else. That is one of the best feelings. And if you get to do that all the time and like have creativity be a huge part of your day-to-day work, then that's awesome. It's a hard career. It's hard to get there. Um, but there's lots of things you can do. You can design for DCI, WGI, and BOA. Most designers kind of do a lot of year round stuff because you can't really work three months a year and pay bills 12 months a year. So lots of people design year round at some level. Um, or, uh, they have a ton of different, uh, schools they design for. They might have like fall and winter gigs they do, but they might have like seven or eight, uh, in each. So they're either like consulting with a group or designing a show or selling an old show that they've used on one school to a different school in another part of the country. Um, and it takes a while. Um, you have to kind of build up a, a library, a website of your shows, um, to get to your steady stream of income. So if you're looking to become a designer or a writer, um, uh, most of the time you have to be a teacher first, you have to do some kind of something else to supplement yep. it while you're, while you're making it and making a name for yourself.
1: So one of the cool cats we know, and you all know too, it's Brian Harmson. He designed the virtual drum corps show. Uh, he told me at one point in time to develop his website, Viz Audio Designs. And I only know that website cause my high school actually used that my junior and senior year. We were using those shows and they phenomenal, um, it took him 10 years to get to a point where he had enough shows and had enough in the bank to actually start producing money from the shows that he had previously written. It takes a long time to do it, but once you've done it, I mean, I'm sure there are still high schools out there performing the show that yep. I did back in 2009, yep. 2008. This is one where again, perseverance is going to be how you Yeah, you, you really have you to want to do here, it cuz so it's going to take work. a lot oh. of work.
2: But l- let me be honest with you though, like this feels like, Oh, this is a hard road. You should only do it if you love it. Like it's the grind. Like most careers, most fields, you really don't quote unquote, make it until you're in your thirties. There's exceptions. Of course, there's always people who take a long time to get there or they get really lucky or they're just very good at what they do very early. But like, you, being in your twenties, that's that's what you do. That's the grind. Like you use your twenties to build yourself up in some field, some career. You're building your skill sets. You're building relationships. You're getting experience, so that in your thirties you can work the job that you have been wanting to work. It's the same as like going to medical school. Like, oh, I don't want to be a doctor because I'm going to be in school for all of my twenties. It's like, yeah, but if you <laughs> go and do any other field, you're going to be like the lowest on the totem pole um, until you get there. And and this is the same way. So it's it's the grind, but. I mean, it's the same as if you were grinding in the finance field or like, you know, trying to be a lawyer or a doctor or anything Mm -hmm. else. Like, yeah, anything that's worth doing is hard work. (laughs) That's what makes it worth it.
1: You nailed it on the head, Jake. There are, I would say, less than 0.01% of people out there in the workforce who had their dream job and their dream position in their 20s. Most of your 20s is even if you're at your dream job, you're not at your dream position within the company, right? Right that's where that's where i'm currently at i'm sure that's where you were at in your 20s right you you you're you're happy with where you are but you know okay i've got these following ladders to climb and then i'll get there now if i get there in my early mid late 30s or maybe even takes to my 40s if it's a really tall ladder that's fine i'm willing to grind it out now and that's what you should and i yeah. agree with you jake that's what you should think about when you're looking into a career field of this is We're saying it doesn't come automatically, but that's fine, that's what happens in every field. As long as you know the path forward and you're willing to put in the work and the 10,000 hours, then at least you know the path, at least you know the way to get there.
2: Yep, every field is hard, choose your hard. That's the way I look at it at least. So we decided to reach out to someone who designs for marching band as their full-time job to see what's that lifestyle like and how do you get that job?
3: Um, My name is Kendra Wendelin, and I currently live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I am 39 years old, and I currently make my living uh, being a marching band designer, marching arts designer.
2: So that's Kendra. She's worked extremely hard to be a fully freelance designer for pageantry. My first question, of course, was how did she pull it off?
3: I used to be a band director, um, I have a music two ma- uh, music ed degrees, uh, bachelor's and a master's in, in music education. And um, you know, I was you know nine years a band director, and just you know, I loved the design aspect of of the marching ensembles I was doing way more than um, the paperwork I was doing and the stick waving that I was doing. Um, <laughs> right. Those things are very important, and they are fun, and I do miss them. But it wasn't kind of where as I started to go towards my thirties where I I thought I wanted to be. So, um, I had always written drill on the side, always written drill on the side since I graduated um, from, or even before I graduated from my University in 2004. Um, I think I wrote my first drill in like 2001 for a small little competitive marching band. So, um, you know, just always having built to this. So I built to this point. This was not just an a snap decision. It was a decision I made three years out before I actually did it.
2: So she was an educator first and obviously had a ton of training to back it up. But it still took years of getting more and more clients, slowly transitioning and working way more than 40 hours a week to have enough consistent bands hiring her for both the fall and the spring.
3: I was set up with 10 marching bands in the fall of varying degrees of involvement, a couple just football bands. Um, a, f- a few big, big BOA customers, not big as in names, but just that they like to do the BOA budget and, and spend that type of money um, to get a really nice product they're going to put into Lucas Oil um, and then some just local in their own state. So that in the spring, just a couple indoor ensembles that I've built up to the same way. And, and I am married and I have a husband. And yes, we, we share finances. But if I was going to go out and live as a person by myself, yes, I could make a living doing this.
2: I asked next that if I wanted this to be my career, what's the first step? What's the first thing I should do if I wanna get started down this path?
3: If you want to do it, commit to an area and then also make sure you're teching that area, make sure that you're in a band program that you're continually teaching. I still teach on a regular basis. um, And that's part of what you have to do. People are like, I wanna just design, well, You know, we are all in love with Michael Gaines's design, but probably Michael Gaines and a few other people are the only ones who can afford to just design. Um, And even they will go into programs that they like to, you know, be involved with and and, and create with and, and work closer with them. So make sure you have some programs that you are able to call your home bases and kind of go out from there. Because even if you're not a music educator or a teacher, you're not gonna have the band director experience. You want to make sure that you understand the struggles of a band director. You wanna make sure you understand the struggles of the staff and being a tech and being on a team that way, whether it be indoor, outdoor, or both. And then you wanna to ask to be on you know, those design teams, be included in those decisions and just start throwing around creative ideas. Get used to working on a team.
2: One strategy Kendra would use is literally just reaching out to the local band program and offering her expertise and time for free. And that would lead to paid gigs over time that could eventually pay the bills.
3: Every time I moved and I didn't have a job, I walked into the local marching band program and said, hey, I'm here and um, I would love to help you and here's my resume. And if you can't pay me this season, that's fine, but I will definitely you know, help help you out. And um, usually when you go in with that attitude of here, let me help you, they're more willing to kind of work with you. And, um, you know, if they like you, they keep you. And if they don't, you find something else to get involved in.
2: She did mention that the best part of the job was also the worst part. Total freedom to make your own schedule is great, but it's a lot of personal accountability.
3: I get to make my own schedule. I get to commit to the projects I want to commit to. Um, I, I get to, you know, take on new projects and get involved. My year is never the same, even with it, if it's with the same people, my year never looks the same. And so I really, really love that aspect. That's one of the best things. I think just the constant ability to create is actually here and at my doorstep. So I do like that. The downfall I would say is that you have to make your own schedule and you have to stick to it. That's the hardest thing for me.
2: For Kendra, it's also the dream job. She's not going to make millions, but the freedom to work when and how she wants and to spend her life on her passion while still making a decent living might be worth
1: even more.
3: If anybody ever sees me out and about and around with my little bands in Ohio, you know, you know, say hi. Ask me questions. I I, I like talking about it because it's totally doable and it's changed my life for the better.
2: Coming up after the break, the mystery marching band career that no one talks about. Hey, I wanted to remind everyone that virtual indoor signups are open right now. If you don't know what that is, we partnered with WGI to bring you the third performance opportunity Virtual Arts has offered. We did virtual drum corps, then marching band, and now we're doing indoor guard, percussion, and winds. There's three different ensembles, three separate shows with unbelievable design teams. We know that we can't replace performing in person, but we can create something super cool while we wait to get back together safely. When you sign up over at virtualartsinc.org slash join, you will immediately get your placement audition material. And if you participated with us before, you don't even have to audition. You just get your spot back from your previous seasons. If you want to play music or do choreo from the actual designers at Music City Mystique, Monarch, Broken City, Paramount, Santa Clara Vanguard, Boston Crusaders, and the Blue Devils all at once, this is probably your only chance ever. Head on over to virtualartsinc.org join to get started immediately. See you in there.
1: All right, Chris, the secret, the secret one, it's a new one. Um, it hasn't, hasn't been a career path for, you know, a long time. If we're being honest,
2: all of history, Chris, literally since 10,000 BC, it has not been a career path until this decade.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure a designer or writer for marching band was available back in 10,000 BC either, but I love your enthusiasm. All right,
2: Chris, what's, what's the mystery fourth field? that you can be if you wanna do a marching band professionally.
1: Become a content creator on YouTube or an influencer on social media. Um, if you're good enough at it, you can actually make some legit money, which is bonkers to think about.
2: Yeah, you have to be really good at what you do. You have to be very consistent. You have to be good at knowing how the algorithm changes for Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. You have to be very consistent with content creation. You have to have some level of charisma. Like there's so many boxes you have to check it's it's not the easiest road and and like you know wanting to be a twitch streamer is a very popular thing right now especially for people under the age of we'll say 30 <laughs> um, just in general it's like yeah I want to play video <laughs> games for <laughs> a living nice. it's like okay if yeah. you're a twitch streamer you're not playing video games for a living like playing games where you win money in tournament that's playing video games for a living if you're twitch streaming what you're a performer for a living you're basically playing for tips as a performer Correct. like you're selling your personality, your charisma, like, and, and that's hard. Like people say, oh, you want to be an influence. So, okay. Turn on a camera and a mic and be interesting for three hours. Like that's hard to do. Like Chris and I have to edit the podcast to be interesting. And we're it, still not it, that interesting. It's a hard thing to do.
1: <laughs> it's, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. You were, you were bringing up the podcast, you know, and I was going to bring up like, we we even dabble a little bit in YouTube Uh, creation ourselves.
2: and we've learned that it's hard.
1: (laughs) What would you say, like, from my understanding, once you break into around 100,000 subscribers, you're pretty safe on, okay, now I can do this full-time and this is something that I could live off of?
2: Yeah, and that is going to be a range for people. Like, if you live in Southern California versus if you live in, like, rural Michigan, (laughs) obviously, your rent and food is going to be very different in terms of what you're paying. Also, some someone's version of comfortable living versus someone else is like, if you have four roommates and you're fine with that and you don't care that much and you're like, yeah, it's chill. Like I don't need fancy meals. I like living with a bunch of people. My rent is super cheap. Um, and that's fine with you. That's one thing. But if you're like, I want a house and I want a yard for my dog, like that's a lot more money. So like living comfortably is obviously a range, uh, depending on who you talk to. But yeah, I, I think like super general yeah. benchmark if you have like 100,000 views consistently on your videos. Um, and also <laughs> how often you put videos out. Like if you have a type of channel that puts out a video once a month and Correct. that gets 100,000 views, that's probably not going to be enough. But if you can produce like weekly or bi-weekly content or even daily content if you're a gamer... Uh, and you just like crank it out and yeah, it's totally fine. It's way plenty.
1: So Jake, without getting into the nitty gritty of it, how is this even possible? How is YouTube such a big platform that people can make money by just creating videos that we watch in our free time?
2: Well, it's all about where the people are, <laughs> which I, again, is a Disney quote, but is also how advertising works. Um, I don't know if, everyone has noticed, mm-hmm. but YouTube ads have gotten real dense lately. Um, they're also now monetizing videos that were not monetized before. So, you know, old videos that are on small channels or just like single videos that people don't monetize. Like YouTube's still putting ads in front of most videos, sometimes multiple ads. And like each of those ads gets, you know, 10 cents, sometimes 20 cents, sometimes one cent. Like it really depends on where the click is from, what the click is on, what, you know, it fluctuates like the stock market. Um, but if you have... 10,000 people mm-hmm. click one thing and you get a penny each time. Like, I mean, you can do the math. I mean, that's, that's money. Um, and it, it comes down to like how quickly and how easily can you produce that video and how many people are interested in that video. And like trying to understand <laughs> YouTube's algorithm is, is super crazy too. And like Chris said, we're, we're like doing it as a fun side project. We're not trying to become full-time YouTubers or streamers or influencers, but we're just like, try. I mean, you know, it's the pandemic we're at home. Like we want to try stuff and that's one of the things that we thought would be fun um and honestly it's just been a fun way to just connect with each other and play music together and laugh and be goofy and all that kind of stuff
1: so if this sounds like something that you're interested in There are literally YouTube videos on how to create a YouTube channel. There are. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's quite
2: a lot of them. So That's how I learned how to do a lot of this stuff.
1: You know, this would be a great conversation to have with someone who has had success. I was about
2: to say, instead of taking advice from two people who have a very small YouTube channel, why don't we talk to somebody who actually makes plenty of money uh, doing (laughs) YouTube um, and also is just really, really good at it. Um, Just for perspective, like... Chris and I's top view video has like almost 6,000 views and we are so excited about it. <laughs> Let me <I'm>, tell you.
1: <laughs> I can't. When we hit five digits, exactly. I'm popping a bottle. But it champagne. took us how long, it.
2: Chris? Let's see. We started uploading in early April. It took us this long to get into the yeah. four digits. Like it was like you, we would get literally like four views on a video and then we would get like 20 views and yep. then we would get like four views again <laughs> and, then, and, then like, oh. and, and each of these videos would be like yep. days and days and days of work and then we'd get like 56 views and we're like oh okay and then the next video would get like 108 oh, okay. and we'd be like we made it we're, we're retiring this is it and and it, and it just would bounce back and forth and then like eventually like at one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven we were 11 videos in and just now barely breaking into uh, the thousand views per video. So, um, and, and w- again, right. this is not something that we're looking to put our, our full-time gig into. Um, the channel is called Apex Percussion. If you want to look it up, it's mostly just either silly percussion videos, some serious percussion literature. It's got some cool stuff on there, um, but it's super niche. It's something that we like doing. And if it gets more popular, that's wonderful. Um, if it's just the way for Chris and I to connect and make music together, still cool. So we set up a call with an actual marching band YouTuber, Eric Carr of EMC Productions. It turns out that Eric has not just one, but two different full-time careers with
4: just marching band. My name is Eric Carr. Some of you might know me as EMC Productions, and I am in the United States Marine Corps Drum and Bugle Corps, and I also do YouTube. Eric is a Marine,
2: plays quads for a living, and has almost 20 million total views on his channel. I assumed he was a Marine first, but he actually started his YouTube channel over a decade ago.
4: Right. I, it was, it was kind of in the opposite order. Like, I've had my YouTube channel since 2008, um, and I joined the Marine Corps in 2017. But um, I didn't actually, like, start making money off YouTube for a while. But, um, yeah, so the Marine Corps, I was actually trying to get into one of the Army bands for a really long time. It was the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. Um, I auditioned for them eight times, and I obviously didn't get into it. <laughs> so, and I actually I found out about the Commandant Zone through their WGI shows. Um, they did a few of them, I think 2015, 16, and seventeen, and that's what really like impressed me and made me want to audition. So I auditioned in twenty seventeen and won the spot in the Tender Line.
2: Wow, that's all. So did you like
4: six six
2: auditions in? Did you ever go like, hey, like, is it just because there's a, a legacy guy who's way better? Like, did you get any feedback? How did you? I would get so discouraged <laughs> after the fourth time they, they told me no.
4: I mean, yeah, it was pretty discouraging, but like the uh, first time I auditioned, I think I was like 19, I was like still in college. And then like, I just kept like trying over and over. And then I think it was the sixth time I got invited to the live round. Like I made it like finally into the second round and I I was one of the first people cut after that. And then I tried a couple more times, but yeah, obviously it didn't work out, but... So
2: after getting cut eight times and still somehow not giving up, Eric won a spot with the Commandant's Own, which is the only active Drum and Bugle Corps in all of the United States Armed
4: Forces. Yeah, so it is all year round. Um, It's a full-time job, and it's very different workload throughout the year, usually from... February to April, we go on tour and we play our DCI style show at various high schools and military bases. And it's not looking like that is going to happen this year due to the, the pandemic no, going around, not. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes we uh, do a WGI show also, like in, uh, in Dayton, uh, it depends what year. And then in the summer is probably our busiest time. We have a whole lot of uh, just ceremonies and different parade performances around Washington, DC. Then in the fall is pretty much our least busy time. We have a few gigs here and there, but that's kind of like the time to unwind from the craziness of the beginning of the year. And now is usually the downtime from December to January, although it's been a lot of extra downtime compared to past years. So a
2: lot of, I mean, that is literally just drum corps, but professionally. I mean, you're doing it year round, you're performing. I mean, it's, it's like being on tour, but you're you're always there. Do you have to get on a bus and go places? Is it mostly because you said it's local, I'm guessing you live in or near DC? Area, What's the travel situation like?
4: Yeah, so most of our shows are in Washington, D.C. Um, we do go to a few DCI shows throughout the summer, and those ones we will usually bust to. So we get kind of like the uh, you know the raw, rugged drum corps experience a little <laughs> bit, but not, not that much. So another dream gig if you're a drum corps fan.
2: I assume this was a tough gig to get, being that there's only one in the country. So I was curious how many people
4: actually have this job. Yeah, I believe the cap is ninety. Um, it's ninety Marines in the unit, um, and it's like we kind of change like who's in what section depending on what we need. Like I, we used to not have a front ensemble at all. That's actually a pretty new thing for us, and now we have an eight-person front ensemble. So we had to make cuts elsewhere because it's just a max number we're allowed to have.
2: Chris and I were wondering this: comparing drum corps hard to basic training hard. What is which one is truly worse? having done both
4: yeah actually uh shameless plug here i made a video about this uh, a while ago um but I, okay yeah. we, we
2: will link that in the show notes you can actually watch the video where he talks about i this, appreciate so.
4: that <laughs> yeah i i say that um so marine corps boot camp i think it is um from a mental perspective it's harder but physically i think being on tour with drum corps was harder just because at Marine Corps boot camp. It's kind of it's like an all day workout pretty much. Like they divide the training up throughout the week, so you're not like constantly working out the same muscle group over and over. Whereas drum corps, you're just doing the same exact thing like all day, every day, and it it gets really, really tiring. <laughs> but and you played quads, right? Like you had the the heaviest thing you could you could have on the field. Yep, yep, yep.
2: So that was the commandant's own. But we were also curious about his YouTube career. Turns out, like many content creators, he didn't start with money in mind. He just enjoyed making videos.
4: Yeah. So I started the channel in 2008, and I honestly didn't know that you could even make money off YouTube for a really long time. And I ended up getting monetized, I think, in 2012. And once that happened, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, just a uh, yeah. It was like a few years of just like posting just for fun, and then. I started realizing, okay, I can make a little bit of money off of it, but you have to make a total of a hundred dollars for you to get a paycheck, and it took me maybe a whole year before I earned a hundred dollars <laughs> to make a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, it was you know it was cool knowing that I could do that, but I wasn't you know counting on that money to support myself. Um, but then it, the channel just started blowing up. I think when I joined the Marine Corps is when I started posting pretty consistently. Um, I tried to do like one video a week for a while and then I just got better at the process and now I do a few videos a week. And yeah, it's it's got to the point where I am making quite a good living off of that.
2: It's important to remember that though making YouTube videos is cool, it's still work. It's still a job. So I asked Eric how many hours a week he spends working to make content for YouTube.
4: Normally I would probably put more than 40 hours into YouTube every week um yeah it's it's a job yeah it's basically a second full-time job
2: (laughs) so people say oh it's so glamorous it's so this but it's like nah man like i'm i'm working a full week just like you are i mean it's it, it seems fun and it seems interesting, but most of it is just like either editing or sending emails. Like it's not as glamorous as,
4: as yeah, I Yeah, yeah. A lot of like it's really know. boring. <laughs> like you only see the fun parts.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the part of it though. You, you share the, the 1% that's just, you know, great and is, is some, somewhat of a gift to the world and it's super fun yep. and you get to kind of shoulder the rest where everyone doesn't see it, which is pretty neat. So if this still feels like the dream job and you're wanting to put in the work, where do you
4: start? How do you get where Eric is now? his advice was pretty straightforward yeah i mean for if you want to be a content creator i say just start a channel as soon as possible and just start making videos like it doesn't have to be the greatest quality right away actually it's kind of better if it's not because i've been reacting to my older videos and it's uh, quite entertaining because of how bad they are but (laughs) because he's probably the only person in the world who can answer the question i asked him what were the
2: best and worst parts of each job
4: um, so for Marine Corps, uh, obviously, you know, being in the military is not for everyone. <laughs> the The basic training is, is very difficult and it gives some people some problems. So you're going to have to be in like really, really good physical shape. And if you want to you know, start a career in a military band, um, I, I'd say that's probably the worst part. I mean, it's also a good part like that, that I get to, you know, I'm forced to stay in shape, which is good. You know, it can't be a couch potato or yeah. anything like that. Um, and then, yeah, the best part of being in the Marine Corps is, well, I get to do what I love, you know, being in the uh, the drum and bugle corps. I get to play tenors for a living. That's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> but also, you know, the, the honor of being, you know, a United States Marine, you know, even if we're in the sure. band, you're still in the Marine Corps. Like it's Marine and yeah. also musician. So that's, that's very cool. Let's see. I think the worst part of being a content creator is, I mean, I guess this is a good end of and a bad thing is you're pretty much your own boss, which means you, you make your own hours, you get to do your own thing, which that could be good for some people, could be bad for some people. If you're like lazy and you have no deadline, you're just like, uh, oh, I could do this whenever. But, you know, I try to, you know, try to get as much content out as possible, which kind of motivates me to, you know, to get on it.
2: We were almost out of time. So for those of you listening who are considering this as a potential career for you too, I asked Eric his best advice to be a successful content creator.
4: I think the video that, you know, really got me interested was when I did my Hurtas in uh, 2012. Um, I got like 30,000 views, which is like okay for me now. But back then it was a lot. And I, you know, I got recognized by like strangers like at these DCI show. And that that was really, really interesting for me at the time. I mean, now it happens like at every single show. But yeah, that was... Probably that video was when I realized, like, okay, this is, you know, pretty cool and rewarding. And then after I made a few more videos, um, I did that, that uh, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton drum battle, which that that is now unlisted, uh, well, for now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that one was really popular as well. And, yeah, it really only takes, like, one or two videos to really kick off the channel. And I guess my channel is, like, kind of proof of that. I mean, it really you just have to do it for your love of doing it at first, at least. Um, I mean, it's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to want to like spend the time sitting at a computer editing a video for hours and hours. But I mean, if it's something you are really interested in, just like keep making just push out as many videos as you possibly can, you know, try to get maybe one a month at first, and then you get like a couple a month and one a week. Um, And like I said, it really only takes you know, one good video to really start out, start ki- like kickstarting the channel. So just keep that in mind that, that the video you're doing now might be the one that gets a million views. You never know. So there you go. Professionals who
2: all in different ways made marching band their full-time job. Let's head back into the studio with Chris. Right, Chris, well, what do you think?
1: I mean, that was awesome. It's, n- it's rare. We, we gave the audience a treat this time around, honestly. We gave you three interviews. Yeah, you're welcome. With amazing people, Callie, Kendra, Eric, just learning all these different ways to be successful at something you're passionate about, which happens to be marching band, but in creative ways.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's possible. Like It's literally possible to make a full living on just marching band and there's a whole lot of ways to do it there's at least four ways that we came up with if there's more let us know but those are the four ways that we could think of and people that we know or know of uh that do those things so if you're interested or are wanting to pursue those as a career path hopefully this gave you some insight on how to get started
1: the attribute that all these people had in common is they were just good people to work with and that's something to take away from like being an enjoyable person Absolutely. and someone that people want to be around really pushes your career forward in ways you know you can't even imagine
2: yeah you have to work hard you have to be talented and good at whatever you do uh, but you also have to just be nice if you do all those yep. three things enough for enough time you can do whatever you want in the pageantry arts you just got to keep working exactly at it. all right chris you all got right. anything else
1: uh, that's all That's all I got, all unless right. you want to hear a good bop of the week. I
2: do, Chris. That was what I was going to say next, is what is the bop of the week?
1: So the bop of the week is actually a little bit of a throwback to what I was listening to back in 2018, which is going to be Want You Back by Aerochord, and I'm going to spell it. So it's W-A-N-C-H-U space back, and then Chord is A-E-R-O space And then Chord, C-H-O-R-D. That's not how I would have spelled that at all. Want You Back by Arrowcord. It is a listen, I've had great music taste for years and I just verified it when I listened to this again.
2: (laughs) You you have had (laughs) great music taste for years, can confirm.
1: But all right, Jake, that's all I got. So how about you see us out? All right, let's do it.
2: This has been The Morning Block. This show is a production of Virtual Arts Inc. and was produced by Chelsea Levine and hosted by Jake Lyons and Chris Parker. Edited and mixed by Caleb Lee and our audio engineer is Rosa Westfall. Special thanks to all today's guests, Callie Rydell, Kendra Wendelin, and Eric Carr of EMC Productions. Logo designed by Brian Harmson and original theme music was written and produced by Jordan Turan and Josh Russell.